Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. Good morning to all of you, Cafe Bitcoiners. It is, what is today? Thursday, the 10th of August, 2023. Another amazing day in Bitcoin. There is so much going on. When I first started looking around this morning uh, for what was going on out there, it, it was looking actually kind of sparse, but then we started digging up some pretty interesting things that are occurring. So lots to talk about today. We're also going to be covering basically with like the five top things that uh, the crew thinks is important in a new person's Bitcoin journey. So we're going to be talking about that. So good morning, Peter. Good morning, Dom Bay, Jacob, all of you regular Cafe Bitcoin listeners and anybody who's new. Welcome. Good morning, Alex, Peter. Good morning. You know what I was thinking about this morning, Alex, when you're talking about the year and the date, we don't have hoverboards, we don't have flying cars, but we do have Bitcoin. And so for that, I'm grateful. Yeah, man. I mean, it might, it might be the most important invention that mankind has ever stumbled across. Well, I say stumbled, it was pretty intentional, but uh i guess you know there's this whole there's this whole discussion over whether it's a discovery or whether it's an invention right like when man discovered how to make fire and how to utilize fire um that's one thing and then the same thing with electricity but i guess you discover this primal thing and then you invent ways to use it and harness it. So it's a, it's a, it's a interesting series of things. Good morning, Tomer. Do you have thoughts on this? I'm sure you do. Like, uh, I'm sure you've thought about this a lot, actually. I've just joined. Are you asking the question, is Bitcoin a discovery or an invention? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I've, I've had this debate a couple of times. I, I think all inventions are discoveries right you discover how to make this how to how to make an automobile so it's it's a the invention is the first time someone puts something together that's man-made so inventions inventions require an inventor and so they they have to be something that's man-made like you you can't invent a tree it precedes mankind you can't invent democracy um, and so I do think Bitcoin qualifies as an invention and all inventions are in the sub, like if you imagine this Venn diagram, 
all inventions are in the circle of discoveries. So that's my view. So all, it is an invention and it's also a discovery because someone discovered how to make an automobile. They discovered how to start a fire. They discovered how to make Bitcoin. But, but Bitcoin being an entity that's very carefully assembled and fine-tuned and everything is an invention. It's, it's like it's like a this fine-tuned machine it, it, mm. like of a clockwork thing. So it's both. Um, and, and it's both because all inventions are discoveries in my in my view of things. But are all discoveries inventions? No. See, this is what I'm this is what I'm getting. Yeah, that's what I'm getting well, at. Is if you have an this apple growing on a tree. I didn't I didn't I didn't invent the apple growing on the tree. Right. But I, I may have dis I may have invented a way to harvest apples that didn't exist before. And you know, the like the first person who stood on a tree stump invented the the stool. Um because they they're using something other than how nature prepared it for um as a tool so so that that's just my like things things that are made um that need to be made in a particular way are inventions and and, and discoveries someone discovered that they could stand on a tree stump and in so doing invented the stool <laughs> All right. Just to keep it simple. Let's get rolling here. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin, episode 409. Good morning and welcome for those of you just joining us who have never been here before. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal and a sea of noise, teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there's hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin today. We're going to be digging into the five most important things to do and know when you're starting your Bitcoin journey. Amongst other important Bitcoin news that's been popping up, later today we've got Phil McPherson with Riot Platforms. Riot is a publicly traded company and Bitcoin miner. Um, they don't play either. When they do stuff, they go pretty big. So that's going to be an interesting discussion. Looking forward to that. Wicked, good morning. You want to take two minutes and talk about your latest video? So Wicked just dropped a new video. For those of you who don't know, Wicked, in my opinion, does the best visual animated representations of data to help people understand what the hell is happening with Bitcoin uh, in the entire sort of Bitcoin ecosystem. Even Michael Saylor tweets out or retweets out Wicked's videos and follows Wicked. I'm surprised Wicked graces us with his presence uh, still. But yeah, man, talk about this thing. What is this new video? And in, in, like, uh, let's nest it. Yeah, so I think it's nested um, already up there. Thanks, Alex. Uh, I, I badgered Sailor into following me at one point. I was like, how many times is Sailor going to retweet my videos before he follows me? And then he followed me. So that's how that's how that happened. I don't think it was by choice. Um, and uh, this video, this animation <laughs> is um, it's showing the, you know, the least the least interesting you know, metric of Bitcoin, which is the price. But shown in kind of a different way which makes it maybe a little bit more interesting so instead of having just the regular old date on the x-axis you know as we're used to here we have the uh the block count sorry there's a fucking loud truck passing by okay here we have the uh and there's the uh there's the explicit rating for this for this one too um we have the the block count for each epoch so each epoch lasts 210,000 blocks, right? 
and that typically is around four years, but it can vary, you know, by months or weeks or whatever for each one. But, you know, the, the block height is a much more kind of important measure of time for Bitcoin, in my opinion, right? I mean, Bitcoin, it measures its time kind of in terms of blocks and the epochs, you know, are representative of these, these markers in time where the block reward subsidy gets cut in half. So that's why those are important, right? That's why every 210,000 blocks is kind of an important marker in Bitcoin's history. So anyways, this is showing the price epoch over epoch, right? And then the coloring is showing how much the price has increased from the previous epoch. So you'll notice, you know, when the price gets closer to the price of the previous epoch, it gets redder. And when it kind of starts to go further away from the previous epoch, it gets you know, a little bit more orange in these later in these later epochs. What's interesting about this, though, is that the epoch over epoch growth growth rate has never dropped below 100%. Meaning, if you've bought at any point in Bitcoin's history and held that Bitcoin, huddled that Bitcoin for at least one epoch, then you have, at the very minimum, doubled your fiat. You know denominated value um so that's an interesting you know thing to just notice right i mean i think people are starting to take notice of of that type of thing (laughs) and they're starting to realize that bitcoin is an excellent long-term savings plan which is what we all kind of know and i think most of us use it as at this point in time cool thanks for the explanation all right, let's keep rolling here with the uh, the sort of main topic that I wanted to extract from you guys all today. Um, if you're on the panel and you have a, a couple of minutes and you haven't thought about this, I want you to think about it now, which is what are the top five things you would say to a new person that is the most important thing they need to do and know about Bitcoin uh, if they're starting their Bitcoin journey? I want to go around calling you guys if you're in the audience and you're a long-term Bitcoiner and you think you have five important points that new people should know, you're welcome to come up and share yours too. Let's roll. Uh, who wants to go first? And if no volunteers, you're going to get voluntold. Go ahead, Wicked. All right. So first things first, you know, learn how to acquire Bitcoin. And this is going to change over time. So in the beginning times, you know, <laughs> to acquire Bitcoin, you had to like go to a coffee shop. And the, and the funny thing is, you know, you, you used to acquire Bitcoin and have it just in self-custody when you got it, right? There weren't exchanges in the beginning. And you actually kind of skip this next step, which is, you know, learn how to take it into self-custody because back in the day, that's the only way you could acquire it. But now that most people acquired it on an exchange, the second step, in my opinion, would be learn how to take it into self-custody. Third step would be um, learn about private keys and seed phrases. Four would be uh, learn about learn how to send Bitcoin. So this would you know kind of include learning about the mempool and the fee market. Um, and then I think five is a toss up between learn about you know Bitcoin's UTXO model and UTXO management and 
learn how to run a node. So those would be my five slash six-ish things. All right, let's go with Peter and then uh, Tomer. All right. <clears throat> um, I think the first thing you need to do is join a community and listen and don't be afraid to ask questions either in real life or online. Um, and if that community talks positively about tokens other than Bitcoin, you probably need to find another community. Uh, think about what property or features of Bitcoin are attractive to you. For me, it was unconfiscatability and the um, separation of state from money. Um, number three, think about uh, diversifying your portfolio with Bitcoin and set a percentage that is appropriate. And that's probably going to be between uh, one and five percent as a as a goal. Um, rely on your trusted community. Number four, rely on your trusted community to help you determine how to self custody your keys slash Bitcoin. It's okay to take small state steps or big ones. It's all up to you. And number five, enjoy the journey that you have started on. All right, Tomer. Hey, I'm surprised uh, how much agreement I have uh, on this given uh, given the different directions we come from. But um, so my framing is the first thing you need to begin with is genuine curiosity and healthy skepticism. There's going to be a lot of extraordinary claims you encounter. Um, and if you're very dismissive of the of these extraordinary claims, you say they must be impossible, you'll find yourself on a very short journey. Um, and if you if you believe everything you hear, you're going to find yourself on a journey that leads you down some really bad paths. So you have to be prepared to put in some intellectual work to solve things. Um, I think the second thing is you have to have um, action orientation. You have to be willing to participate. If you go into this thing saying, I'm just going to read forever, you'll end up feeling like you missed things or you, you, you won't actually learn. This is a participatory uh, activity. And so you need to be prepared to take some action. Um, that takes me to part three, which I think was Wicked's part one. Uh, you, you have to acquire. You don't have to acquire a life-changing amount. You don't have to risk your life savings here, but you have to buy some Bitcoin so that you can participate uh, in it. Uh, fourth, which I think was uh, Peter's fifth, is play. Uh, it's time to start. Once you get some, you have to play with it. And you have to take self-custody of it, send it, receive it, whatever kind of strikes your fancy and curiosity, give it to people, uh, try to spend it, do all of these different things so that you can see and validate for yourself. It, does this thing work? Is it, is it real? And then I, I think the other part, which, which is more of your longer journey is just reinforcement. You have to uh, be willing, you have to have an ongoing willingness to take the time to explore new things as new claims are made. There will be claims made that there are vulnerabilities. There will be claims made that they, that it resists it. There will be claims made that there are substitutes. There will be all sorts of claims made over time. You don't have to be as obsessed as some of the people on this stage are like, like myself, but you do, you know, because it's so new and so developing still and has this tremendous claim that it, that people who support it are making, you will want to check from time to time. Like your learning is not over. It's not like a three month process of learning how to drive and now you know how to do it. Um, it is, it, you're, you're going on this, on this journey and you might, your views may change on it from time to time. So there's, there's my five curiosity, participation, acquisition, play, 
and reinforcement. Awesome, thank you. I don't know who's next, so Ant or Mickey. I think it was Mickey. Mickey Koss, good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I think I think the more simple approach, or maybe not more simple, but so the things I focus on with with people that I'm I'm kind of teaching is is first focusing on education. Um, and then once they once they can contextualize Bitcoin as long-term savings and then learn that the game is not trying to make more dollars, but trying to accumulate more Bitcoin, then all those other things sort of fall into place through, you know, curiosity and, and buy-in and all, all that stuff. So that's, I mean, that's really just the short of it, those two things for me. Short and sweet. Battle Ant, what do you think? Yeah, so far, I mean, I've heard mostly learn, learn, learn. I agree with that. Uh, I agree with Wicked and Tomer that, you know, you, you have to get started like right away. Like the number one thing that I wrote down is just get started. You know, uh, it, it, you know, get 10 bucks, like figure out how to get 10 bucks, you know, get it on Cash App or whatever stuff that you're going to use to get 10 bucks and then move it on your phone. I mean, at the core. You know, one of the most basic fundamental features of Bitcoin functionality is send and receive. So like do that, like get in there and move it around. And then, you know, you, you're going to have to learn about savings and, and accumulation. I mean, you know, you've heard me say it before, like, you know, one time only accumulation phase. Well, yeah, I mean, I believe that. And there's only so many ways to get Bitcoin. You know, you can buy it, you can earn it, you can mine it. You know, I don't recommend stealing it or, you know, someone can give it to you, um, but you need to figure out what your accumulation strategy is, but you also have to work around your savings. I think so many of us are coming into Bitcoin uh, on the long tail of this like fiat nightmare. And, and you know, that's why you see people talking about uh, like taking care of their health and and you know proof of work and low time preference and saving your money and working out i mean it's like it's because you're coming from that you're we're having to shake off that that fiat scum and and redirect your energy towards a better future where you can think in in terms of saving instead of spending and consuming that's very important uh because last thing you want to do is buy you know some bitcoin and then have to sell it back because you you don't have your own house in order so learn about savings and accumulation that was two for me uh around then you start wanting to learn more about money at least i did so uh three really important i would say i mean even if you read nothing else if you read you know i read shelling out the origins of money by nick sabo that was that was a great refresher for me coming out of that fiat long tail to kind of understand money again uh and then you know read the bitcoin white paper it's not hard it's nine pages it's it's a very quick read and it's cut up in sections you'll understand it and then you know get the bitcoin standard and read it so with those three in mind uh you know now you're at a fork basically you're going to go one of two ways essentially you're either going to get wrecked unfortunately you're going to you know, do some shit coins because you don't understand unit bias, or you're going to do some trading, or you're going to get scammed, or you're going to do some bad key management, or you're going to spend your Bitcoin frivolously, incorrectly, 
you know, again, we're in an, in an accumulation phase or luckily now, you know, I mean, that's what happened to me. Like I got wrecked and you have to learn like, Oh, I've, I've got to actually like treat this thing for real. Okay. Well, luckily now you guys don't have to do that. You can do, go the other path, which is learn about choosing a secure wallet. Uh, you know, learning about ways, other ways to acquire besides, like I said, cash app earlier or whatever other thing you're using, you know, uh, and just the resources, you can go read all that stuff on lops, Bitcoin resource pages. You can go to time chain stats, get the resources over there. Like there's no shortage of this stuff. You should try to read as much as you can. And, and I think the last thing that I have on this is. You know, you have to think, like, start thinking for yourself. Like I said, we're coming out of this fiat nightmare. And these, the trusted third parties that you've known your whole life since you were a baby, they've been lying to you that whole time. And so you probably need to change your habits. You may, like I said, you may need to work out some. You may need to look at your health and you may need to start working on savings. Proof of work, low time preference. Find out what this means. All great stuff. All right. Thank you. Battle Ant. Pubby, how are you doing, man? I'm glad to see you. It's been a little bit. Glad you're okay. Oh, good. Going around good, the world. Man. Yeah. I hope, hope my internet's working here. I'm, I am still in Pakistan. I'll be home in a week. And uh, thank you for allowing us and a few of our, our uh, listeners to jump in um, and probably in about 40 minutes. We just like, Angela, I just want an hour just to hang out there and, and keep things going on. Um, I, I love I love this sort of question, um, and as you go along here, you know one of the, one of the things is first and foremost, man. When 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 you start in this journey, you most people are just a rabbit. You went down the, the rabbit hole, you figured it out, and you are a rabbit dog, and you are going to convert the world. Um, you are going to go out there, and everyone will see exactly what you see, what this beautiful thing Bitcoin is all about, until you find out no, it doesn't happen like that. Uh, one, you have to understand that until someone identifies that there's a problem with the monetary system or with their own financial system, um, they're not going to be too jazzed. They're not going to be too curious. And there's different ways. Uh, look, in the West, number goes up. In the West, number goes up is that number one way people are interested. Or like Peter, I was there like, wait a second. There's sort of this new asset class. I know people hate that word, but there's this new thing that if you control the private keys is unconfiscatable. And I found that interesting. Whereas others that are in a hyperinflationary system see it right away because Bitcoin is many things to different people. All right. When you're in Venezuela, when you're in Beirut, when, when you're in Turkey and you're watching just your money get slaughtered every day you start to understand and see the problem. Or when you can't transfer money from bank account to bank account, you see where Bitcoin can help there. So that's step one, is that somebody identifies, yes, there's a problem with the monetary system in my life. And when you come in to highlight how Bitcoin can sort of solve them, you know what, they gotta do some work. You gotta do the work. And then they have to understand their, you know, what was the risk tolerance? And this is where, you know, look, I, I, and, I, and I love the maxis, but there's signs like, what do you mean you're not 100% in on Bitcoin? Well, guess what? 
you know, someone at a certain age, they've got kids in college, they're, <laughs> they, they've got other needs, they will get there. But you have to have to find the sort of percentage. When you're looking at what the, the problem is, and you look down the future, what the problem could be, people will get there. When, when you start to explain what CBDCs are going to, they're going to wreak havoc on, on the financial system, Bitcoin also is a way out of that. So these are all steps in the right direction, but the, the first step is the most important is to have anyone that identifies that there's a problem with what's going on in their life. So I would just say, start there, have them look to the future, guide them down the road and be there because the, the, the first day is not, it's not the day where you, you beat them overhead to buy a cold card and, and memorizing 24 words, all right? That'll come with time. Identify the problem first. Go ahead, Dom. I was just going to make a comment on uh, puppies, um, puppies' uh, um, ideas. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go quick through a bunch because uh, everyone kind of hit on such great points. But but uh, getting to self custody and getting off zero is is really important. Uh, getting an understanding of Bitcoin's history. I love history. I know there's a lot of history majors up here. Uh, you know, start with the white paper, read through that, check back to that multiple times. So it's kind of like a, a good way to ground yourself as you're reading through a bunch of new materials to just remind yourself of what the original intent of Bitcoin was. There's tons of other materials, whether it's like emails from Satoshi, books, how Bitcoin fit into the Silk Road, the block size wars, you know, all that stuff and, and, and tap the community because, um, one of the great things about Bitcoin is you can connect with people from its recent history and you can get like insights uh, from a book you might read, which is pretty rare in a lot of uh, circumstances, right? Where you can reach out to someone from the history and connect with them and go, hey, what happened? Uh, get to running a node, uh, get off price, just get off price. Like whenever you can get there, uh, to where price, I'm not saying we all know, I'll say get off price and then I'll get off this, this space and check price. Maybe, I don't know, maybe like 50 to a hundred times in a day. Although I, I'm down now to where I don't check it some days at all, but get off price as being the most important part of why you're in Bitcoin, make that like a background part, uh, and, and Bitcoin as an asset, not having, you know, not being everything, but just being one facet. Then the last one is, find your path uh, i'm a big and find your path for building and teaching uh, and then pave that path every day uh, i'm a big believer that you know this story isn't over and a lot of the timelines are going to depend on on that, the the work that people put into bitcoin if you're not asking people if they accept bitcoin on the regular um, trying to find your path if you think that you have nothing to contribute to bitcoin you do. You just have to continue, you know, all these steps that everyone mentioned to find what Bitcoin means to you and where your path is. And then uh, make sure that your path, you know, is helpful for Bitcoin as a whole and true to the values. Check in, you know, always check in on your path and, and, and just, you know, evaluate whether it's helpful uh, to the original mission. So I wanted to comment on what Pubby said about identifying the problem. And it immediately made me think about the scene in the matrix when Neo wakes up and 
uh, from the from the the he's he's re- downloading all of the all of the um, things that he can do. And he wakes up and he says, I know Kung Fu. And then he jumps into the he jumps into the dojo with uh, um, with Morpheus, Morpheus and they have the fight. And Morpheus looks at him and he says, do you think that this is air you're breathing in this place? So my point is, everybody has had a problem with friction in the banking system, even our really pretty damn good banking system that we have here in the uh, in the West. And that could be as simple as somebody uh, you know, throwing you a security code, you know, you can't do, you can't move this right now because, you know, we, we are detecting fraud. Um, or it could be as difficult as, um, your account froze for some reason, you have to spend an hour on the phone, um, or go into the bank and have to deal with that. And so these things that we have to deal with these, these friction points that we have to deal with in the banking system that we don't really think about, um, as being friction as being a problem, are really a problem. And you can, once you kind of step back and you go, wow, why, why is that? And once you transact the first time with Bitcoin and you realize that none of those problems exist, the only problem that exists is your own responsibility in, in making sure that you transact appropriately. It is a game changer. It is just, it is game over at that point. It's really interesting hearing you say that, Peter, because I can remember a time. I remember this. I've watched Peter's like trajectory in Bitcoin knowledge over time because uh, when he first started, he became a Swan client. He's my client, by the way. And he and I have known each other for a long time now. And I remember a time when he was really, really nervous about uh, doing a Bitcoin transact, just sending Bitcoin from one address to another. Peter, I don't know if you remember, if you remember this, but I do. Of course. And I uh, this is, a, I agree, this is a super, super important part of your journey. So everybody has said some really good stuff. You need to get started. You need to get what I call skin in the game. You got to have a little bit, just get something, right? Because if you don't have some of your energy invested in it, you're not going to give a crap. And that's just the way it is, you know? And in in a book I read says, or a man's time and treasure is there, his heart is also. Meaning, if you have nothing invested in it, you're not going to give a crap, all right? So you have to do something and just get started with that. You need to learn. There's lots of ways to do it, and it depends upon different people learn different ways. If if you reading is good for you, there's articles, there's books. If you li- like to listen to stuff, there's podcasts. This is a podcast. If you like to watch videos, some people are, are learned by videos. Uh, other people need to be there in person right? Figure out who near you knows something about Bitcoin. Reach out to them. Check out the Orange Pill app. That's a good way to do that. Um, Self-custody, also important. Next thing, though, is the how to use it. Learn how to use it. There's a lot of Bitcoiners who are like, yeah, just buy Bitcoin, never spend any sit on it forever. I don't agree with that. I started out that way, thinking that way, but I'm like, I'm at the point now where I'm like, nah, use it. You don't have to use your whole stack. I'm not saying like, you know, have a huge portion of your net worth in Bitcoin and then just recycle it every day. That's not what I'm saying, right? You have your stack, just like you have your, hopefully, your savings and your retirement accounts and all that other kind of stuff. But also, why not have a little lightning wallet with some sats in it that you can use 
to test things out and try things and donate to good causes and things like that. Um, as you do that, you'll it will open your eyes to how this thing actually works for humanity because so many people bring up this objection and they're like, well, Bitcoin's too slow. It doesn't have enough, handle enough transactions. You can't actually use it. Nobody uses it yet. And it's like, guys, if we aren't the ones who start doing that and we believe in Bitcoin, who the hell is going to do that? We have to do it. We have to set that example. I think it's kind of funny. I agree with everything you said, Alex. I think it's kind of funny just when you said, you know, your savings account or, you know, sorry, you said your retirement account. I was thinking, I don't have a retirement account. I just save my money. <laughs> and like, it's kind of funny that like, I, I feel like in the future, like my kids aren't going to have, you know, quote unquote, retirement accounts. Like they'll just save their money, you know, like yeah. how it's supposed to be. Yeah, we're living through the transition right now, right? But the, the reality is today that the vast majority of investable assets, capital, is held by people, you know, 65 years and older. So this is, uh, you know, it's a transition. We're going through a demographic change, a, a step change in all of humanity. Like young folks don't even think of that kind of stuff nowadays. They're like, retirement account? What the hell are you talking about? Because... A, they don't trust it. B, you know, when they look, they're looking at systems like Social Security and stuff like that, they're like, Phew. we all know that's a scam. All of us know that will not be there when we're 65. They so also, like, stop talking to me about that shit. They also have been fooled into believing the world's not going to be here when they're 65. <laughs> so they're that like, too. why would I save? Why would I save yeah. for you know, 30 years down the line when we're all going to be toast? That too. Okay, there's one last point I want to make. And then we're going to go with Gabe Lord and um, back to Peter. And that point is commit to learning more. And this is like a, a daily habit thing. You know, there's a saying that you can tell a person's future based upon their daily habits, what they do every single day, the things they read and the people they hang around with. Right. So those daily habits, no matter how small they are, are incredibly important. Whatever you're doing every day is incredibly important. And just commit to spending five minutes a day reading something, listening to something, learning about Bitcoin. If you find that you become more interested, you will naturally start adding more time to that. And there is a saying, if you spend one hour a day studying, reading any particular subject, doesn't matter what it is, one hour a day, within five years, you will be an expert in that particular thing and you will know more than 90% of the people on the planet. So it's just, you have to dedicate some portion of your time daily to checking it out. All right, let's go with Gabe Lord. Good morning. What's up, man? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you again. Yeah, those are all excellent points. I mean, the learning side of it alone is just, it, it just, it's fascinating. Um, I mean, th this this thing has more layers than than ogres and onions. And it's like, the, the more you dig, the more you're going to find and the more you're going to learn. Um, I mean, I've, I've learned more in the past six months um, just studying Bitcoin and I have in the past six years anything else just because there's such a wealth of information and so many um, so many high caliber people that are willing to share their knowledge. Um, but and, and, you know, continuing on with the with the learning side of things, um, I've heard a lot of great points uh, this morning and I appreciate everybody sharing their insights and the education part of it. Just it's a theme that is interwoven between all of it um, in that experiential 
education by by like like so many of you are saying by getting in there um getting your hands dirty with it you know breaking stuff here and there making hopefully small mistakes and not getting completely wrecked but making small mistakes learning from them what that does um in addition to us being able to learn and to make those mistakes is it paves the way for people coming behind us just like you're doing right now you're laying down the foundation by sharing your knowledge with all all of our listeners and everybody who's on here and you're making their path um, that much smoother. So that is going to facilitate that that greater uh, level of mass adoption. And it's something that, um, you know, from my time in the in the army, it's something that is just it's is very common. You know, you have these these non-commissioned officers that are training junior soldiers, and what they're doing is they're training them based on their own field experience. And so it's you know they've been in the in the bush, they've been you know outside the wire, they've you know they've done their time. And they're willing to share that so that next group of individuals doesn't have to go out there and get uh, get jacked up. And that but that experiential part of it has been, to me, um, the the greatest learning experience um, on this journey is just, you know, it's like you mentioned, Alex, you know, the first time I, I started moving some Satoshis around and OK, seeing how it works and I got it. OK, now it makes total sense. Because the reality is we're not really going to be effective at teaching the next people coming coming behind us on this journey if we're not doing it ourselves. So, yeah, I just want to share that. And I also just thank everybody for, for doing this. Um, you know, and actually, um, Pablo, Pub, Pub you were saying something also that I just wanted to touch on and that this I mean, Bitcoin isn't really it doesn't really matter to anybody until it does matter to them, if that makes sense. Um, I heard about it originally, and I thought, okay, this is interesting. Digital money, neat. Okay, that's really cool. Um, you know, we kind of already have that. Of course, you know, forgive my my ignorance, but I wasn't. You know, that's where I was. But you know, it it, it seemed interesting, and that was about it. But then, really, the the more I studied it, it, you know, as you know, will happen. I began to realize the deeper implications, especially as it pertains to individual freedom and sovereignty. And that's when it really started to click for me. And that's when it really became uh, personally impactful. And that's when I became motivated to really get on the mission and get engaged in this in a more meaningful way. So, and that's going to be different for 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 all types of different people. And so it's, it's interesting to see it develop. Um, and it's exciting to know that the more I learn anyway, the more I realize that it does impact everyone. It's just a matter of guiding them to that discovery on how it does impact them so that they are in a position to engage. So I just want to share that. Thanks for having me up. Thanks, Gabe. That was really good. Gabe is a, um, he's fairly new to Bitcoin. I'm not trying to like, you know, this is not a criticism, just pointed it out. that The dude is very well-spoken, very thoughtful. So I appreciate it, man. All right, Peter, go ahead. So, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about this. First of all, I want to thank everybody. And I, I want to say, you know, we, I can hear the passion in everybody's voice. I can hear the passion in, you know, OG Tomer's voice. I can hear the passion um, in, in Gabe's voice, who is, is newer to this. Um, I'm also newer to this, but I can hear everybody's passion. So, you know, I think that, 
I think that the younger generation today is so attracted to the ESG narrative because they are searching for a, a morality. They're searching for values and morals that align with their um, innate kind of sense. And, and who doesn't want to be part of a movement that is thinking about saving the world. Now, whether the ESG narrative is true or not is, is not the point here. The point is, is that is that people are searching for these these values and this morality. And I want to read three sentences. That's my it's my pinned tweet. I just want to read these three sentences. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Bitcoin is moral money. Quote, Bitcoin is the ultimate expression of freedom as the ability to opt out is the linchpin of liberty. Unquote. That's Natalie Slomensky. And then liberty is inherently moral. And for the first time in recent human history, I can opt out and separate money from state. And the reason I read this is because when Pubby talked about find, identify a problem, I think that that's something that is really important for new people to do. I talked about, hey, you can see all these problems in the banking system. You know, they may seem small, but they're problems. And there's other things that we can address that are analogous um, to the issues that we can make relatively uncomplicated. And when you start talking about, you know, Bitcoin is moral money, people kind of perk up and they're like, wow, that's an interesting conversation. I, I'd like, to, I'd like to, to, to have that conversation. And that leads to, you know, this curiosity and potentially give somebody a reason to want to um, look into the features and properties of Bitcoin and why they might have a need or necessity for them. Man, that is such a great point you made, Peter. The thing about younger folks searching for a mission that is so on point because we have this situation right now where you have the monetary system, you have all the things that are in place that are basically make it seemingly impossible to achieve escape velocity just from the grind of survival. And it makes people feel powerless. And the thing about feeling powerless as a human being is very, very unsettling. Humans hate that. Humans hate feeling like they don't have control over what's happening to them. And just a search for meaning, a search for a cause, a search for something they can engage with to make a difference is huge. So this is also part of Get On The Mission. This is what we need to express to people around us to help them figure that stuff out. Go ahead, Pubby. Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks for the kind words, uh, Peter. There, uh, you know, you know what he started in, um, especially those sort of in the West. Uh, that number go up was the first thing. Like, what the hell is this? Um, for those of us started in the end of 2017, you wait from six hundred dollars is at twenty thousand dollars. What is this thing? I got to get in on that, and, and that is the first foray. Don't get me wrong, okay. I'll I'll enjoy a, a nice um, 100 x as much as the next guy. Um, what's been interesting is because everyone sees what the problem is. I was right for the for the picking there, understanding. Man, I understand what's wrong with this system. Um, it's once you're here and you go through a bear market and you're still digging. Those are the ones I like to watch. The ones that are still digging, going down that rabbit hole, um, and. They say I don't care about the price at this moment. It's st it's still bothering me a bit, but I'm I'm there's still there's still something here, and it's only when you you start to look towards the future, 
Okay, I'm looking at my current problems. I'm looking at the current system. It's when you take a step back and you look at what does this future look like? What does what does the future look like without Bitcoin? And if the past three years have taught us nothing, and we've seen the the totalitarian governments come down and shut down all bank accounts of truck drivers peacefully assembling, when you're watching CBDCs being starting to be unleashed, um, that should scare you. And if that doesn't scare you into reading more, understand more about Bitcoin, well, I don't know what to tell you. Because it's that, at that point, when you realize a dystopian future ahead of us, if you don't realize that there's a pretty good chance it's coming, um, man, I, I, I got no words because this is where the price, the price action, yeah, it's nice. But guess what? I, I want some value. I want value for my work, my life force. I want value that, that I earned. I want it saved outside of the system. I want something saved that I can pass on to my family. I want something saved that if there's a need, like in a black market economy, I know I can reach out. I, I know I'm not, I don't have a CBDC tied to my, my social credit score or um, my carbon footprint where I go out and dear God, I want more than one stake a month. I want some, and guess what? Bitcoin is the absolute perfect medium of exchange for this. And there will be people that are, will accept it. I think it will be a black market uh, currency before anything else. But my, my, my main point here is look to the future. Look to the future. And if you think that fiat currency is the future, well, good luck. Um, I will tell you this, everything, everything I have read, everything I have studied, everything I have thought about has told me there's only Bitcoin. So price be damned, I'm here for the long haul. I want to welcome up or and say good morning to Rizzo. How are you doing, man? Yo, a bit better. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Just did it out for the count the last couple of days. Did you have something you want to add? Uh, nothing on that particular point. Uh, I thought that was well said. All right, we'll keep rolling. Glad you're feeling better enough to jump into the conversation. So if there's something you want to hit, let's go ahead and do it. Uh, okay. I want to read something. There's a quote from Wade Hoke in the Bitcoin Veterans Twitter group this morning that I thought was really good. That kind of ties into what Pubby was saying. He goes, the news is bleak and full of negativity. Must be election season. I'm glad I can see through all the doom and gloom bullshit. All the... I'm going to say people, he said something else. I'm going to say people soaking up the MSM, thinking things are going to change this time, that investigations and prosecutions will happen. Sorry, folks. The only solution is to take the power to print away from the government. And I thought that was dead on. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, I just wanted to make a guess at what you, what you censored. I'm going to say shitheads. <laughs> I'm not going to throw weight on the bus. If he wants to say it, he can say it. But I, I, I thought his point was really good. Um, because I'm with Pubby. I'm a freedom maxi. Like, I want freedom. Not just for me, but for my kids. And at some point, grandkids, maybe. Like, this whole idea of 
eat the bugs, live in the pods. You will own nothing and be happy. We're going to control every aspect of your lives. If you don't do what we want you to do, if you don't say what we want, if you say things we don't like you saying, we're going to take away your ability to buy groceries. If you don't let us inject weird things into your body and you just don't like it, you don't agree with it, screw you. We're the overlords here. We're the lizards in control. We, we don't. You don't need to go that far, Alex. All, all you need to do is look at what goes on in an airport. It's all you have to do. I mean, what, I was watching. I was watching people going into a to a stadium the other day. I was sitting in a restaurant and I was watching these people going into the Seahawks practice um, ex- exhibition or whatever, and they were going through a metal detector. And I'm like, what the fuck the fuck why do i have what why do people have to do this shit this is ridiculous i mean it's come for on. your safety though bro. exactly that's like, my this point. is my the point, this is the argument is, is this that is... you don't have to talk about you will eat the bugs you don't have to talk about we're going to talk we're going to we're going to limit what you what you can buy or whatever you can just point to the things that go on in our everyday life that like you'd like to talk about that are ratcheting. It's just this ratchet effect. You keep ratcheting it up. I'm going to say it again. I know you guys are sick of it. I was in the military in the, in the early eighties. If you, if, if you had told me in 1988 that the Patriot Act had passed in, in 2003, I would have told you that the Soviets won the cold war. That is how bad it is. And people don't, we, people today don't understand how many of their freedoms have been taken away by this everyday ratcheting of you've got to do this, you've got to do it's a come on, just stop it. They're normalizing complete and utter control over all the activities in your daily life. And it's like, I'm glad you said that, Peter, because the younger folks who are growing up today, this is all they know. They don't know a world that's any different. So to them, it's normal. Like you, if you look at, there's that one freaking app. What the hell is that thing called where they are like all spy on each other, where they're all, they all know where each other are at. I don't know what the fuck it's called, but Snapchat. Is it Snapchat? I don't know. Anyway, this is normal for them. We're, we're being surveilled and under, it's like normal. Uh, and, and like, I'm glad that we have guys like Peter around who can tell us, look guys, that's not freaking normal. Like that shit is really creepy. And do you understand how that can be used against you? And that is why Bitcoin is so awesome because it's outside of the system. No, it's permissionless. It's censorship resistant. Nobody can prevent me from transacting with whomever I want to transact with. And it is, that is just such, that's what I talked about earlier. It is such a game changer. It is just like total eye opener. It's like, oh, I get it now. I understand this because it is freedom. Gotta pop out, guys. Alex, thanks for having me in real quick. Hey, Peter, just if anyone's um, down, if you want to know about how quickly you, you will give up your freedoms, and this is why we read some of the classics, you know, Theodore Dostoevsky from Crime and Punishment, they uh, also did what was called uh, The Brothers Karamaz. But one of the characters in there is a Grand Inquisitor. But if you just Google Grand Inquisitor speech, and he talks about how the people will gladly lay down their freedoms for comfort. Um, I mean, stuff been written, you know, 100, 200 years ago. It's always been there if you dig deep enough. Love you all. Got to bounce. Top Thanks for hanging in, puppy. Puppy is a gem, isn't he?
He's a good guy. Mickey Koss, what's up? Hey, Alex. So, I, I mean, I think even going back to Gabe and then everything in between is, is just kind of the story of meeting people where they are. And so I, you know, a lot of people get excited with Bitcoin and try to orange pill others, you know, freedom maxi, fuck you money, like government can't touch it. But they're, they're kind of barking up the wrong tree, um, don't understand who they're talking to. And so like on, on a scale of Peter McCormack to Marty Bent, I'm, you know, closer to Marty Bent than Peter McCormack. Um, but at the same time, I'll still write like ESG type articles with Forbes because I see that as like one of the great Trojan horses. And so, you know, you get somebody who really cares about the environment. Well, I'm going to write a fuck you article about how Bitcoin's good for the environment. And then you got to get your toe in the door. And then maybe you go down the rabbit hole and you become a freedom maxi as well. Um, and so I, I guess I wrote an article recently for Bitcoin Mag too about bipartisan authoritarianism, and and I guess you know one of my concerns is that is that Bitcoiners kind of get too engaged in like the culture wars and the left right divide. What we should really be concerned about is that authoritarian libertarian divide. Um, and if if you're concerned about you know government overreach and stuff. But you're, but you're talking about, you know, culture war things. I think you're short Bitcoin because if we orange pill the world, a lot of this shit doesn't matter anymore, right? Because we take the power out of the hands of the people who can, you know, force down policies on us. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really well said, man. Um, I would, I would definitely echo that. I think that um, you know, there's, there's a certain strain of Bitcoin maximalism that I find uh, almost sort of be, sort of engineered to kind of, uh, you know, promote kind of like alt right uh, sort of. Uh, I don't mean that derogatorily, but a certain you know political viewpoint uh, sometimes over Bitcoin. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like that is probably not Bitcoin maximalism. And personally, I feel like more aligned with your specific definition where it's like, you know, what is best for Bitcoin uh, is really best for Bitcoin. And I think, yeah, getting people across the aisle in a way that you're saying, um, I just think there's tremendous value in that. Um, so I don't know. I'll, I'll hear, hear that. I appreciate these, uh, these views. And I think we need more of it. So I would encourage you guys to continue to come up and, and share your perspectives on these things, because I definitely view Bitcoin through a very specific lens. And uh, someone said it a little while ago. It's like, it to me, I'm not red, blue, whatever. But I'm definitely, if what you're doing is going to have a negative impact on my freedom or the freedom of my children and my grandchildren, we're going to disagree. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. BJ, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I'm just finishing my reset in my truck here in very, very rural America. And uh, so I just, uh, for shits and giggles, I just uh, recorded a little video, which is similar to this. Uh, this topic that, and I noticed we're doing this in the Bitcoin space as well. We're always stepping into the authoritarian free frame 
of safety, that safety upon uh, it come rises above everything else. And like, screw it. No, I want to live dangerously. I want to do dangerous things. I want to try things. I want to risk things. You know, the fastest I ever driven, or I was on a motor motorcycle, it was 295 kilometers on the back straight of Shannonville when I had my bike. That was probably the stupidest thing I've ever done. But you know what? It, it allowed me to experience life and try something, for God's sakes. And everybody's, oh, safety, safety, safety. No, danger. And then when they say, oh, you know, you might lose some money with Bitcoin. Maybe, or probably not, but screw it. I'm going to try things. That's the whole essence of the entrepreneurial spirit. So I think we also got to step away from, we always need to have safety in our life. We, I think that's really eroding away uh, at a lot of us uh, at, as having meaning in life. That's why people so willingly jumped to throw masks on their face and barricade themselves in their homes because they were convinced they were saving lives. And for the first time in their lives, they had a sense of exhilaration and excitement in their lives. It's really crazy. Just take some risks. And, you know, some of you guys do it when you run your businesses, uh, setting up Swan, trying new endeavors. You don't know if it's going to be successful or if you're going to lose money, but screw it. you got to push the envelope a little bit. I, I wish there would be more of that within the space and we would acknowledge that. Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. By the way, for those of you who don't know, 295 kilometers an hour is 183.3 miles per hour. That's pretty damn fast. You're a wild man, BJ Dicker. <laughs> I didn't realize you you were into that. Stu well, I had a 1,000 CCV twin bike that was like 380 pounds. And yeah, that was, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. But I loved it. I loved it. And I did that with a car that I had the track previously. Like... You know, we do things in our lives that we don't know how it's going to pan out. We try to calculate the best as possible, but that's what I think that's more masculine. And I, I hope people don't get upset at me for saying that. But I think that's just we're evolutionarily predisposed to take risks. That's what's allowed society to um, uh, to grow the way it is. That's what's given us Bitcoin. There's people. There's a problem. Okay, let's try. Let's devote all my time in the case of Satoshi and all the other people, the developers who were there, it was, screw it. Maybe this is a waste of my time. Maybe not, but let's try it. And I think that's a more important frame for us to be uh, stepping into in the future, as opposed to always focusing and obsessing over safety. Like, I'm so sick of hearing that word. The, the best part of your speech, BJ, was, or, the, or your rant, I don't know if it was a speech or a rant, but the best part was... Um, um, I'm going to put some money in Bitcoin. Am I going? I'm going to put. I'm, am I going to lose some money? Maybe, but probably not. I mean, it's fucking awesome. Well, listen. What I, I got into Bitcoin in fifteen, in two thousand fifteen is when I started to really learn about it. And I finally bought in the beginning of sixteen. If I remember, end of fifteen, beginning of sixteen. I didn't know, man. I had no idea. It, it seemed logical to me. A great. And will the world adopt it? I don't know, but screw it let's try a little bit and let's go down the rabbit hole and that's why we're all here because we all decided hey let's take a let's take a risk and waste our time or at least spend our time learning about this thing and maybe it will yield some positive return on our life and for so many of us what was the reward it changed our life and it changed our life because we took the risk
Hey, BJ, I just want to thank you, man. This just what you're saying here combined with a video that I watched yesterday, which you sent me has just created a major paradigm shift in my life. Are you ready? So BJ sent me this video yesterday, which I highly, highly recommend everybody go watch. It's by Stephen Hicks. It's called Postmodern Resentment. And it basically describes this situation where there's a lot of young folks or men who feel very disempowered, basically. And because of that, they're blaming the systems as they are. And, and go watch the video. He does a much better explanation of what I'm trying to say. But it's helped me realize. So if you've listened to this show for a while, you've heard me rail on the fact that it seems like so many men in society, in Western society today, are basically pussies. I'm just going to say it. And it's it's been a, 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 a sticking point for me for a long time because I just want to take these young dudes and shake them and be like, Wake the fuck up, like just get stronger. And what I realized after watching this video is, is that there are a lot of young dudes out there or people, I shall say, that uh, feel like the system is just crushing them and then they lash out and they want to they they try to do something about it and maybe they don't know the best way to approach that. And what I'm saying here is you just said a minute ago, BJ, you're like, you said the word masculine and you're like, I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying that. And I just want to say to all the young dudes out there, if you're one of these guys and you don't like, you look at dudes who are quote strong or be or show like strong. What's the word? They just get after it and it makes you feel like, man, I can't do that. All I'm going to say to you is yes, you can. All right. Get around dudes who are like that and just spend time with them. And I would encourage you to just do that because I just realized just now. The, the way to solve this problem is not to go around and say, you're all being a bunch of pussies, but to grab those dudes and help them. Yeah, just to, um, to add on to that, Alex, I'm glad you liked it. That was actually uh, from a fan of Stephen in our podcast. And a, a perfect example, I reached out to Stephen three years ago, uh, said, hey, listen, I want to do a podcast around you, get kind of your word out. He's never hadn't done one. And he said, sure. And we're, we'll try to turn it into a viable business. I don't know if it's going to work. We'll see. We'll find out. But, you know, I took the risk. I reached out to the guy. We formed a, a pretty good friendship. We talk, you know, fairly regularly when he's not on tour or where he's not teaching uh, at his university. And there you go. Took the risk, reached out to the guy, built a platform for him, developed a friendship. And now we're actually exploring doing something really big in the new year together. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Stephen Hicks is, he is he's not not a conservative. He's not a liberal. Uh, I'd say libertarian, but he rejects the labels so much he doesn't even like that. He's an individualist. And when Jordan Peterson re uh, references um, postmodernism, uh, he's usually, 90% of the time, 
referencing Stephen's work uh, because he first, that speech that you watched, it, Alex, this is crazy. That speech that you watched was before his book came out and he couldn't remember exactly. He said he gave that speech in either 1992 or 1996. That's how far ahead of the curve he was on this stuff. And that's why he's so res well-respected. He's on the board of the Atlas Society, involved in the Ayn Rand institutions, but just a brilliant thinker. And I learned, you know, both from my time in politics and from getting to know Stephen very well, I used to be kind of dismissive of philosophy and think, yeah, airy-fairy isn't really all that important. Between those two things, man, I think that is the number one, um, uh, that's the number one aspect of education that so many of us are lacking in our lives is an understanding of all different types of world philosophy, which Bitcoin is a world philosophy into itself. That's based on freedom and decentralization, which is a modern, I think a more modern uh, philosophy that is being built around Bitcoin. So I highly yeah. encourage everybody to look now. You know what's really cool about that, though, is Bitcoin is the first thing that I've seen in 52 years of my life, 51 years, whatever. I keep getting corrected on this. I don't know. I don't remember and I don't care. The, the point is, it's the first thing I've seen ever where you can reach across these philosophical divides and, and come to agreement on something that's useful for the human race and to push the human race for, forward. This is the thing that can unite humanity. And if you haven't watched the video, highly, highly recommend it. It's seven minutes and 56 seconds of your life, but it completely and utterly explains the dysphoria and the, the cognitive kind of like um, issues that people are having wrapping their mind around the world as it's changing so quickly right now. Go ahead, Peter. The, the number one thing that I said for beginners coming into Bitcoin is to join a community and listen and don't be afraid to ask questions in real life or online. Cafe Bitcoin is one of those communities. This is exactly what I'm talking about. You, you need to, people need to get into a community where they can have this kind of discourse. Yeah, and question everything. Get around people that encourage you to question everything. Think for yourself. Super important stuff. And also, a lot of people, a lot of people will go through their life and they'll never get to that point where they're, you know, they're a leaf in the wind. The wind blows one way and they blow with the, like a leaf in that direction, and they're subject to their environment. If you feel disempowered, if you feel like you don't have a lot of control in your life, get proactive about it. Take control. Get around people intentionally who will make you start thinking for yourself. You'll see the world completely differently. And also, I find, you know, we discussed this in the political Bitcoin hour yesterday. Uh, the importance, and you hear this from, you know, certain sides of the political spectrum, but they're right. Uh, the importance of being empathetic to people that you disagree with and trying to do your very best to, you don't have to agree with them, but just try to understand their perspective. So, for example, there's this guy... Uh, some of you may know him, Jimmy Dore. Uh, he's a you know a, another personality. I, I think I disagree with him on 85% of all his worldviews, 
but he's so articulate in his perspective, and I've gone out of my way to understand him that, okay, I disagree, but at least I understand where he's coming from. I understand how he comes to his conclusions. I try to do that with people who don't understand Bitcoin as well. Try to get into their headspace, and then once you do, and you're a little bit of an empathetic to them, say, okay, I, I get it, man. This is why I think a little bit differently. It just makes it so much easier for us to come. I did so much of that during the convoy. Like I had so many conversations aside from media and Twitter spaces, one-on-one, -on -one, different group things that were happening on the ground. And that was a big part of it, just saying, hey, yeah, I might disagree with you, but explain to me what your perspective is and let me recite it back to you so if I make a mistake, you can correct me just so I understand you completely. And that's helped me in reaching people on Bitcoin as well. That's so powerful. If I may jump in here, I just want to, um, wow, yeah. In the end, you know, Bitcoin is going to solve so much, as we all know, but it's not going to solve the, our communication unless we learn to do what you just said, BJ. And even with Bitcoin, even in the hyper-Bitcoinized world, we're still not going to have all the same views on things, but we still got to live with each other. And so having that ability and that skill to be able to listen to someone and, you know, in the end, it's like, yeah, I can listen to you, but don't freaking tell me what to do. <laughs> okay, Then we can live in peace because I can have empathy and understanding for where you're coming from and for why you're choosing um, your life the way you are. But when we start to try and force our ways on each other, that's when we run into problems. Um, I just wanted to also mention a couple other things that were stimulated, really listening. This is such a great conversation. Thanks, everybody. Um, there's a book called The Continuum. Well, in terms of the risk aspect and just allowing uh, kids, because I think what's happened now, as we, as some of you are so eloquently saying earlier, um, we're so focused on safety as a society, and it's been drilled into us for a lot of the wrong reasons, of course. But like you were saying, kids now, they just don't know a different way. And, and parents also are so terrified to let their kids explore and experiment and take risks. And a phenomenal book that I'm so grateful I got to read when my son was like five months old was called The Continuum Concept by Jean Leadloff. And it's a really fascinating book. She's in its. Uh, she's with a bunch of people that live very, uh, still very tribally and sort of original. That's why it's called the continuum concept because they're still living in a continuum, as of you know all of their existence. Um, and one of the things that struck me so greatly was how the kids, how the there's fire pits, there's machetes, there's like all this shit laying around everywhere, but nobody ever stops a baby from crawling to the edge of the fire pit because they know that the kids have an inbuilt sense of self-preservation. They're just not going to fall into the fire pit. And she, like, her whole time with these people never saw a kid, a baby or a little child. Like, toddlers were running around. Of course, everybody's barefoot. Basically, the kids are raising each other, um, you know, because the parents are busy a lot of the time. But they just allowed the kids to be, and they were so in their body that they could take risk and explore. And it was, um, and they were they were safe because they were born in this world just like any animal. They just don't animals don't fall off cliffs. Kids don't either if you just let them be. But it does give them the freedom to be fully in their body, so that when they're taking risks, they're so much more um, able 
to to actually be safe without anybody telling them you have to be safe or throwing anxiety upon them. And so I learned a lot from that and let my kids really explore. And they're both phenomenally in their body. And I really think it's as a result of that. And like at the playground, you know, hearing parents yelling at kids, you're going to fall. Well, what the kid hears is going to fall. And they actually set them up to to do that sort of stupid stuff. But so I just wanted to comment on that. If anybody's raising kids, I just highly recommend that book. There were so many. Oh, and the other thing about that book was the way these people live too, is they know that as, as part of their group or, you know, their tribe, you naturally, one of the biggest human desires is to contribute. So no one ever told anyone else what to do. They never told the kids to go help us gather food, go help us find firewood. Kids naturally wanted to do that because they just saw and realized as they grew up that this is what we need to do. I want to eat. I need food. We need fire, you know. And one time there was a guy, she saw this guy, and he used to just lay around in a hammock and he never helped and did anything. He was a full-grown adult. And but he would always show up at mealtimes. And she said to the others, like, what's wrong with him? Why don't you guys tell him to, like, come and help us? Why does he never do anything? And you guys just constantly let him eat when he's hungry and and uh, lay around the rest of the day. And they said, oh, no, he's sick. And she's like, no, he's not sick. He's fine. Look at him. And they're like, no, no, he's sick. And she's like, what do you mean? And they said he was taken away as a young boy from us by the, I guess, the loggers or whatever was going on, you know, nearby there. And um, when he came back as an adult, he was sick. He doesn't understand how we live. And they said, if we just leave him, he'll get it eventually. And so that's how extreme they were. They were like this ultimate sort of individualist, yet communal at the same time. So they allowed each person to just be themselves and then know that they would contribute when they were well, because that is what well people do. So you don't need so-called collectivism to tell people how to be. If they're healthy, they contribute with the skills that they're able to when they're able to. So I just thought that was really striking. And, and I think the way they raise the kids feeds into that healthy uh, community as adults. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for listening to that. It's just one of the most impactful books I ever read. Yeah. No need to apologize. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate you coming up, Kisa. The something you said that I totally agree with, and I think not enough people understand, is that the words you speak have a massive, massive impact on what happens in time and in reality. You literally are creating the future with the words that you are saying on a daily basis. And there are some people are, who are going to hear that and they're going to be like, oh, that's just a bunch of woo-woo shit. Like, you guys are really out there. Mm. I laughed because of that. Like, people are going to do that. but and, and I did too right then. But I do also believe it. I mean, you can do two things at once. I know it's crazy. But I also do believe that. Like, you can speak into the things that you want. I and mean, that's like the whole basis of this whole, like, affirmations thing that came around in the 90s and everything is like, you know, wake up and look in the mirror and say these things and build the life you want. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's creative visualization. I've had it work in my own life. So I agree with what you're saying. But it is funny. Like people are going to think that it's like mysticism, who's a hazels. Think about the word spelling. Spelling, right? Casting a spell. <laughs> I mean, your words literally do 
bring into creation. I mean, they do. And your thought, and if you think about what precedes your words, it's your thoughts. So, I mean, you know, if people do think it's woo-woo, that's fine. But I do encourage anybody who thinks that to experiment with it, you know. Talk shit to yourself all day long and see how good you feel at the end of the day and how productive you, Precisely. you are. Especially and, if you say it out loud. There are people yeah. who I have observed who they talk to themselves and they're like, you're an idiot. Why the fuck did you do that? And it's like, bro, that is the worst possible thing you could do. You are literally telling yourself you're an idiot. Yeah, and it's the same as with kids um, telling them what not to do as opposed to what to do. You tell a kid, don't climb that tree. All they actually hear is climb that tree. It's not even just because they're trying to be rebellious. I mean, there's a saying, and it is from the woo-woo world, but it's like the universe doesn't hear no or doesn't hear don't. And if you tell a kid, stay on the ground, you know, I want you, you, I want you to be safe because, okay, of course, I support climbing trees, so that's a bad example. But let's say don't sit on, don't put your butt on the table because that's where we eat. Then the first thing they're going to do is put their butt on the table. You just tell them, hey, keep your butt on the seat. You know, they'll keep their butt on the seat because it just makes sense and they don't have to rebel and resist against anything. I just want to say, and what precedes your thoughts is your intention. So, you know, the tip of everything is really your intention, your motivation from the very beginning that will lead to all thoughts, all actions, and everything you do or say. A hundred percent, yes. And on something that was um, earlier being discussed about young people, I've got someone in my life very close to and a young man, and I will can say without a shadow of a doubt that he was making a lot of very, very horrible choices for a very long time. And it was largely, I mean, I'd say pretty much completely because of this disillusionment around um, the world. And like someone was saying earlier, I mean, kids don't even think there's going to be a world in 30 years. So why save? Why care? Why build for the future? Why study? Why learn? And once he got Bitcoin, like really got it, it literally changed his life. And he is so productive, so inspired, so invigorated, so involved now in life and people and and love and, and just action. Um, it's amazing. So it, it's really been phenomenal to see that happening so close, you know, to me. Okay, super deep discussion. I think we could go a lot deeper. I've, I have a lot of thoughts in this area, but I don't know that this is the right forum to share them. So if you are listening to this, send me your feedback. Tell me what you think. Shoot me DMs. Do you want to talk more about this kind of stuff? Should we do it in a different space? I don't know. We'll figure it out. But this is an important topic that I think very few people actually understand. All right. There's a ton of other stuff that we can go with here. Um... I don't know which topic we should hit. Like, they're all pretty deep. We got about 10 minutes. And then we've got Riot coming on. Phil McPherson from Riot's going to be joining us. And um, 
all of these topics that I have, we could spend an hour talking about all of them and I want to do them justice. So I don't know that jumping into any particular one makes sense right now, but, um, so you guys can talk about whatever you want. By the way, I want to welcome up Phil McPherson. He's on stage. Good morning, man. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, Alex. How's it going? It's going fantastic, brother. Like we thanks have had to, an thanks amazing. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. We've had an amazing and wide-ranging conversation today covering a lot of different stuff. Uh, I caught the end. I caught the end of the last one. We were talking about, you know, kids and uh Bitcoin and uh it kind of resonates. I have a 14 year old daughter and I recently took her out on the road with me to talk about riot and Bitcoin. So it's important to uh, expose them early. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good work in this area. In fact, the kids themselves have picked up that torch. Like there's, there's, there's groups of kids nowadays that have got their own organizations where they're out there orange pilling their peers. <laughs> it's pretty fantastic like to see it like some of these kids are very smart um and they're very passionate about this and they see it like they get it like they they have gone far enough down the rabbit hole where that light bulb has gone gone on and they're like oh my gosh this believe it or not is the solution to a lot of hu humanity's problems and we need to help people understand it lisa huff who is in the audience her daughter is in, involved in one of these organizations very strong lady, very passionate about what they're doing. And it's just great to see. All right, Phil, you're here. Let's <laughs> dig in, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Welcome. S second time's uh, a charm. <laughs> yep. Uh, so Phil's been here before. Um, Riot is a publicly traded Bitcoin mining company. I believe you only do Bitcoin. Is that right, Phil? Correct. We're, we're a Bitcoin company. We, we jokingly say we don't use the C word at our office. I approve of this message. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's dig in a little bit for people who don't know. Um, as I mentioned, a publicly traded company trading under what? Symbol? Uh, on the NASDAQ under the ticker R-I-O-T. And uh, we've okay. been a public Bitcoin miner since uh, 2017. I've been with the company since early 21. And, um, you know, we've grown with the, the Bitcoin network. We're now one of the largest Bitcoin public Bitcoin miners with about 10.7 exahash uh, of deployed computing power. That sounds like a lot. Hey, Ant, is that a lot? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> and then we we just uh, reported earnings yesterday after the bell, and we put out our first kind of official or unofficial guidance of our new micro BT order. We just purchased about um, 7.4 exahash of the latest and greatest micro BT miners. So early next year, we'll hit uh, about 20 exahash of uh, deployed uh, computing power. And then we also locked in two additional options with MicroBT that if we exercise those options, we can hit 35 exahash uh, by 2025. So pretty exciting times at, at Riot. And um, we're, 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 we're really fired up. 
Okay, let's let's put this into perspective because a lot of people listening to this don't know what the heck an exahash is. Uh, sure. So there's yeah, the best way. You're good. Oh, I was just going to say that my understanding is that you currently have over ninety five thousand of these miners, these ASICs deployed already. Do you want to describe what that maybe looks like so people can kind of start wrapping their mind around what that means? Sure. So we have uh, currently what we believe is the world's largest single mining, a Bitcoin mining facility. It's located in Rockdale, Texas, which is about an hour northeast of Austin. And at that facility, there's seven buildings. Each building is 60, 70,000 square feet. They're huge. They're the size of, you know, football fields, if you will. And in those buildings, depending if it's an air-cooled building or an immersion building, there are miners stacked from floor to ceiling, uh, similar to what you would see like at a server farm or something like that, where those machines are, are you know, basically, you know, running the SHA-256 and, and trying to uh, solve for the next block. And so um, we have five air-cooled buildings and then two immersion buildings. Immersion is a little bit different where the machines are actually placed into what looks like a metal bathtub um, and filled with fluid as a way to cool the machines. I think, you know, everybody can relate to when you put your laptop in your backpack, uh, your backpack and it gets hot. The same thing happens uh, with these miners. When you run them, they get extremely hot. And so technology has shifted from being air cooled where you use the fans on the machines to cool the machines to what we think is kind of the, the future of mining, which is immersion which uh, again, this, this fluid is cooled and actually runs through the machines and allows the uh, circuit boards and the, the chips to remain cool so they stay on. It's pretty cool. All right, I have one other question for you that I wanna hit because it pertains to exactly what we were just talking about and then we're gonna go with Surfer Jim. So the question is, if you have these massive facilities as you describe the size of football fields, with tens of thousands of these computers eating up energy. There's a narrative out there that says the, the electricity use, the energy use for Bitcoin is a bad thing. And I don't agree with that, but how, how do you address that concern? Well, I mean, I think from the, from the top down, is it really society's job to judge what is a good use of power, right? I mean, you know, people put Christmas lights up, people could hang their laundry instead of using a dryer. I don't think that's really our job to decide what the proper use of energy is. For a Bitcoin miner, what, what is really unique is we're using typically stranded energy assets at times when that energy would not be used and be wasted. Um, specifically in Texas, <clears throat> what a lot of people don't know, and I'm still amazed every day, I was talking to a, a, a private uh, family office guy yesterday from Texas that lives in Dallas. And I said, you realize that 50% of the Texas grid is renewables. And he did not know that. And in fact, the amount of renewables in Texas is more than the entire grid in, in California. And I'm calling in from Southern California. I live down here in Huntington Beach. And he was blown away. So to put some numbers to it, the Texas grid is about 100,000 megawatts of installed capacity. And the renewable portion of it is close to 50,000, which is about... 35,000 of wind and about 15,000 of solar. To put that in comparison, the entire grid in, in California is about 30,000 megawatts. So it just shows you 
the power of renewables and the power of, you know, to be honest with you, subsidies in Texas to put up wind and solar, but it has taken over the, the you know, the grid as far as, um, you know, contributing to that, to that, that portion of the, uh, of the power. And so if you think about demand side now, so we talked about the supply side, the demand side in Texas, an average day in Texas uses about 50,000 megawatts. So they actually have twice the amount of power that they typically use. Now, the reason you have to have that is because wind and solar are intermittent, right? The wind's always not blowing, the sun's not always shining. So you have to have redundancy within the grid. The, the other 50% of the grid is natural gas and a little bit of coal. And so it allows you to keep the lights on during those days when it's cloudy out or when the wind's not blowing. And you know, during really hot or really cold days in Texas, you have a spike in demand. And so we've seen just recently in the last couple of weeks, it's been you know brutal in Texas, over 105 degrees every day. We actually hit a new demand uh, uh, number in Texas, a record of 83,000 megawatts of demand. And so what Riot does and, and other miners do in Texas is when that demand peaks like that, it pushes up electricity prices. And so then we voluntarily in some cases, in other cases, we, we enroll in programs where we, where we do it um, based upon the ERCOT grid, but we reduce our power consumption. We basically idle our machines, similar to putting your laptop into sleep mode, and then we're able to al allocate that energy back to the grid. And what we've seen is that that business model, not only is it profitable for Riot, but it actually helps support the grid and alleviates potential brownouts and blackouts. Awesome. Okay, Surfer Jim, good morning. What's up, brother? Hey, good morning, guys. Um, this um, this whole topic of Bitcoin mining uh, and public uh, mining, like you guys are a public company, um, came up in a conversation I had with a guy named Bob Burnett uh, recently, who also does mining, and, and he expressed a concern, which I had not been aware of, um, which is that as a, a publicly traded company, um, my understanding is that it's your obligation to maximize profits for shareholders. And I would assume that the shareholders are, are expecting profits in dollars. And so you're um, helping to facilitate a monetary network, which has its own units. And yet you uh, it would seem to me that you'd be obligated to provide revenue to stockholders in the form of fiat dollars instead of the units of Bitcoin, which you guys are helping to create. And I just wonder if you can address the, the how do you deal with supporting the future monetary network of the world while being forced to potentially sell those units and return uh, um, value to customers in fiat terms, uh, because that's the way stock markets and our, our system works for publicly traded companies. Um, I don't know where the risks lie specifically. Uh, Bob seemed to know a lot more about it than me. So this is a very new subject for me. I'm just wondering what your sure. company does to address that, what seems to be a conflict of interest at some weird level, which I can't even articulate. I just, it sounded logical to me when he was talking about it. I'm just curious if you guys have to address it. And if so, how do you address it? How does that look sure. from a public sure. standpoint? Thank you very much. Yeah, that, th those are good questions, a lot to unpack there. So let me kind of start with the mechanics side and then kind of our, our philosophy. 
So the way that, and like from an accounting standpoint, and the way that the 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 stock, you know, public reporting market works, every day when we mine Bitcoin, so you know, we let's say we mine twenty Bitcoin today, and the price of Bitcoin averages thirty thousand dollars, or you know, close the closing price at Greenwich time is what we use actually, but let's just say it's thirty thousand dollars. We would book for the day six hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue. Whether we keep the Bitcoin or sell the Bitcoin is is not doesn't matter. From a financial reporting standpoint, it would on the books it would go down as six hundred thousand dollars in revenue. And when we report our quarter, you know, assuming all things equal, ninety days, we would report you know x amount of revenue. Now that's the 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 kind of the the the, the you know the the public reporting side. Now the 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 guts behind it, if you will is depending on the Bitcoin miner, and I'll just talk to Riot, we sell a portion of that Bitcoin to cover our operating expenses. So our, our overhead, our you know, salaries, our electricity costs, our security costs, our IT costs, all that type of stuff that goes into the business. And we were one of the first Bitcoin companies to start doing that. So from 2017 to almost through to 2021, we basically hodled all of our Bitcoin that we mined. But as we got bigger, our operating expenses became larger. And just like any other business like Pepsi or, you know, ExxonMobil, they have to sell their product in order to generate revenue in order to pay their bills. And so in 21, we started selling a portion of our Bitcoin to cover those costs. Our goal as a Bitcoin-focused company is to, is to continue building our stack. So we currently have about 7,300 Bitcoin on the balance sheet because we believe in the, in the value of Bitcoin. We, we believe that in the future, it's going to be worth more. And so from a shareholder perspective, we're trying to balance those two kind of ideologies. One is to cover our costs so we can stay in business because if you don't pay your bills, you go out of business. And then two is to continually building our stack because we believe the value of Bitcoin goes up. That means the value of our stack goes up. That means the value of our company goes up. And so, you know, like last month, we mined about 400 and some odd bit, 450 Bitcoin, something around there. We sold 400 Bitcoin to cover costs. In a perfect world, as the price of Bitcoin goes up, if we're able to maintain our industry-leading you know, cost structure, because right now it costs us about eight to $9,000 to mine a Bitcoin, in theory, as we mine more Bitcoin and the price of Bitcoin goes higher, we can sell less and stack more. And that's the perfect world where we're constantly building that, that proposition value if you will, for our investors. And, you know, when you read our public, you know, reports, it kind of details all this. It shows the revenues and it shows the line items and it shows the costs. Um, it's very transparent, which is what a lot of people I think like about investing in a public company, specifically a, a Bitcoin miner, is that we, you can see where the money is going and what we're doing and, and the money that we're spending to grow um, and, and things in that nature. So I don't view them as, as, as being in conflict because if you really think about the Bitcoin network, every Bitcoiner should want more mining because the, the stronger that the network gets, the stronger that Bitcoin gets. And so we, you know, I kind of tell people like, I feel like we're kind of like the army, if you will. We're on the front line securing the network every day by mining Bitcoin. And the more that we deploy capital, the more that we mine the greater that the network gets and the less susceptible it is to some kind of, you know, uh, fork or, you know, a uh, hack or something like that. I'm going to add something to that. Sir Jim, do you want to say something? And then I'll. I just want to thank you for that explanation. I appreciate it. I, it, it would have been my 
if somebody had to ask me, you know, what's the value proposition as a public miner, that's the type of description I, I would have come up with because that's what makes sense to me. So I appreciate that. I guess I had one other concern, which would be, um, and I, I can't give you a good example, but what is Let's the- do this, Jim. Oh, Hold on to that thought. I want to, I want to make a point and then we'll, we'll let you ask the next question because it's shifting topics to stay with the same topic. I'm really glad you brought that part up because I think there's a lot of Bitcoiners out there who are unreasonable with their expectations on, of other people. There's a lot of Bitcoiners who are like, you must hodl no matter what under, no matter what. And if you're not hodling, somehow you're bad for the ecosystem. And I completely and utterly disagree with that. The entire point of Bitcoin is to make your life better. Full stop. Like you, everyone's definition of what that means is different. And the bottom line is that there are people who hold substantial amounts of Bitcoin. At some point, their Bitcoin is going to be worth something in U.S. dollar terms that are going to allow them to do something that is good for their life, which is the entire point. And I will add that if the OGs who are sitting on substantial stats, stacks of Bitcoin, if the, if the people who were mining Bitcoin back in 2010, if the people who were buying Bitcoin in 2014 do not disgorge some of their stack, that's problematic for the rest of the world. We have to have both miners, OGs, old miners, new miners, people who have stacks, converting their stacks into either dollars or trading it for other things so that the rest of the people on the planet can have the Bitcoin. So it's incredibly important that we do that. And like, I would encourage Bitcoiners to not judge other people based upon what they're doing with their stack. That's none of your damn business. It's good that they do that. Go ahead with your next point or question, Jim. Okay, thank you. Um, I guess it's uh, my concern of a potential conflict whereby uh, when, we, when we think about the block size wars, you had some people that were mining that believed that they had a little bit more power over the network. And then we saw this thing called the user-activated soft fork being proposed. And it seems as though the users of the network work one out over larger, potentially larger interests. And as a public company, I have a concern. Uh, it's not just my concern. I've heard other people say this, where the pressure of shareholders uh, in terms of how they want you to operate your business could somehow force the corporate decision makers to make choices about Bitcoin mining or about their position within the industry that would somehow be in conflict with the users and create a, some type of fork war again in the future. Um, there's talk about um, drive chains and uh, Paul Stork uh, has something he refers to as a minor activated soft fork, which can be forced on the network. I don't know anything about technically if that's <laughs> even possible. I just hear the discussion about it and I think, well, this is a topic that needs to be addressed. Could miners, especially public miners, being forced by their shareholders, act in a way that is not in the best interest of the rest of the network simply because they're forced to as a public company? I wonder if that's something you've ever even had to consider or have a position on. And if so, could you articulate that, that to us to alleviate my concerns and the concerns of anybody else who might have the same concern? Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, 
just I'm a numbers guy. I'm a, I'm a finance background. So if you just look at the numbers, the top 10 public Bitcoin miners right now, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but they probably run about 80x a hash of, of computing power. Okay. Maybe 100. Okay. Let's just, if we, if we go aggressive, the current global hash rate has been oscillating around 400. Okay. There's days it goes down to 350. There's days that I've seen it as high as 450. But if you just use round numbers, of 400, that would mean that the the public miners, if they're running every single miner you know that they have, would account for about 20, 25 percent of the global network, right? And so, you know, again, the, one of the things I learned when I came on to Riot was, you know, that in order to do a fork or to, you know, change the code, you have to have 50 plus one, right? I mean, you have to have you'd have to have control, and you'd have to do it every 10 minutes in order to sustain it. So you, one, you'd have to get all the miners, the, all the public miners to go above 50%, which I don't think that that happens. Two, you'd have to get them all to agree to do it, which, you know, I don't know that that happens very easily. We're all kind of have our own, um, you know, ideas and we all operate in different places. And then you think about, there's still a huge concentration of mining in, you know, sovereign states, right? Like, you know, Saudi Arabia is starting to pick up, Russia's big, China's still mining, you know, Iran, Kazakhstan, all these other places that aren't necessarily public. So I, I could see that if you don't look at the numbers and you just look at kind of the headlines and, you know, we're the big, bad public miners, I could see how people could, you know, kind of hop onto that, that train of thought. But just looking at the data, it would seem like it would be almost impossible because, you know, we're spending literally billions of dollars to grow our network, right? We've already spent billions of dollars to get where we're at. And so it's not like you can just wake up tomorrow, even if you had a billion dollars tomorrow, you'd have to go procure the site, you'd have to build the site, you'd have to buy the miners. Typically, that takes anywhere from 18 to 24 months from the time we decide to do something to the time that the miner actually starts operating. And so the ability to just come in and all of a sudden add hash rate and, and take over the network, there's a huge amount of lag there between you know, concept and reality that I think kind of, you know, people don't think about because they, you know, it's like the old joke, like people love eating sausage, but they don't like to know how it's made, right? I mean, this is no different than any other business. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes um, that are pretty complicated, take time. In Texas, you have to go through an entire permitting process. You have to go through ERCOT. You have to show financial responsibility, the ability to meet targets on, on CapEx. So it's not like I can just go plug in another 100,000 miners tomorrow and double my capacity. It takes a lot of time and a lot of money. And, and that's not just for Riot, that's for every, every miner out there. Um, and, um, you know, it, 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 so I don't think that the, the ability for the public miners to just take over the network um, is, is probably a, a factual reality. I appreciate that. What I hear you saying is that the mining network is reasonably decentralized already. And it sounded like you were inferring that it's going to continue to become more decentralized as other nation states and other large players get involved. And I think uh, the consensus from the people I've heard from is that that's a good thing. Keeping as much of this entire network decentralized as possible prevents any of that type of takeover stuff that you just articulated. So I want yep. to thank you very much for in, for entertaining my questions, explaining your position as a public company. And, you know, the eyes of the world will be on you guys, making sure, you know, you toe the line, so to speak, and 
keep this network what we all want it to be, you know, decentralized and permissionless for everybody. So thank you very much for everything you do. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, sir, for Jim. Was that a uh, Jerry Garcia reference or that Eyes of the World? <laughs> uh, Jerry was a great, great performer. <laughs> one, one of my favorites back in the day. <laughs> Rest in peace. Thanks for coming up, Jim. All right. There's a, a comment that I just got in DMs that it's a bit of a segue, but I thought it was an interesting comment slash question, Phil. So here it comes. This is coming from Hot Beans. He goes, and he's asking me. He didn't ask you, but I think it's worth asking you because it's interesting to think about. And I don't know if you guys are thinking about these kind of things. I mean, he goes, do you think controlling a big amount of hash in the future would ever be the target of physical attacks on big operations? Like, well, do you think yeah, large I mean, mining we, operations <laughs> will be protected like Fort Knox in the future? Wow. Well, I can tell you, we already have, you know, full 24 seven security at our, um, at our facility. We actually have a, a security division. Um, and so it, it's, it's, you know, you can't just walk up and say, Hey, I want to go take a tour and I want to check out what you're going to do. I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely security protocols. I wouldn't call it Fort Knox yet, but I mean, Hey, if Bitcoin gets to a million dollars a coin, um, and you know, we're generating billions and billions of dollars of, of, of Bitcoin, I, you know, I could see a time when maybe we have to become a little bit more, um, you know, thoughtful on that side. I mean, right now we're out in, in, in rural Texas, there's, you know, we're in a town of a couple thousand people. We're not sitting, you know, in the middle of a city or, or, or something like that. So that's, it's interesting. Um, you know, I've gotten the other question I've gotten kind of on that is, you know, like one of these, um, if you get one of these EMP pulses or something where they try to knock out your, your miners, how do you, you know, how do you deal with that? And I, I guess I didn't really have a very good answer for that one either, but you know, some people have that, that doomsday kind of, you know, thought process. Um, we're always thinking of ways that we can operate better and, and protect things better. But um, right now I feel pretty secure with what we're doing. Fair enough. Fort Knox is a pretty extreme comparison. Because yes. Yeah. Fort Knox is one of the most heavily defended installations in the entire planet. It's basically, uh, it's an army installation. Well, and the difference, the, the difference Alex is too, is, is Fort Knox, you could go in and, and take a billion dollars worth of gold, right? Like when we mine today, let's just say, you know, we again, going back to the example, if we mine 20 Bitcoin today, that's 600 grand in revenue right now. And it's not held at that facility. It's, you know, held at our, you know, at the end of the day, it's put into our cold wallet. So it's not like if you came to our facility, the only thing that you could really steal, you could one, you could do sabotage, right? You could knock us off the network um, or two, you could steal our machines, but you better bring 30 or 40 tractor trailers to, to take them all because it, it, it's not like you could just put these in your pocket and, and, and run with them. So I, I think, you know, it's not, it's not like the sm a smash and grab at a jewelry store. What are you going to do with it? And then if you did take our miners, you have to have a place where you can plug them in. So you have to have the infrastructure and you have to have the electricity and, you know, just imagine, I mean, not, you know, you, it's, this isn't like home mining where you're, you're heating your pool with their miner. I mean, this is, you know, large scale industrial mining. So, uh, maybe that's really the reason that you, you, it's a little bit of a different of an analogy. Yeah, you know, the reason it's interesting to me is not that it's a doom and gloom kind of thing, but it's it brings up this concept of power projection and security and resource resources. And so... Like the software, like uh, the book. Yeah, 
Precisely. That's exactly what I'm getting at. So yep. Yep. point being is there's two things you guys are doing at these facilities. You make a great point about you need three tractor trailers to haul away all those ASICs. And who the hell is going to do that, right? Like if you don't have a facility. 30, 30 tractor trailers. Thir- I'm sorry, 30 tractor <laughs> yeah, trailers. 30. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of stuff, right? So Yeah. And if you don't already have a facility with the power infrastructure to power these things, it would be a moot point anyway. Unless and, and you these, were, the, and the miners are delicate. I mean, it's not like you're going to run in and throw miners in the back of a truck and, and drive off. I mean, when we move miners from New York to Texas, you have to pack them, you know, repack them in styrofoam and boxes because they're they're you know, imagine throwing a thousand laptops in the back of a dump truck and driving somewhere. Um, how many of those laptops are going to work, right? I mean, you know, you, you got to these are you know expensive and delicate pieces of machinery too. Yeah, I mean, each one is like what. Average cost like ten grand or something like that. Yeah, the, the last order that we just did, um, we ordered thirty three thousand miners for one hundred and sixty four million dollars. So it's about five five grand a machine, something like that. So we 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 get a little bit better of a price because of a, we buy in bulk, right? And so um, that's always kind of been our strategy as a large miner. We get some economies of scale, and um, you know these new micro BT machines have some of the you know best efficiency. We got them at a good price, and we locked in that price for our next sixty-six thousand miners. Also, so it's um, a lot of blocking and tackling in this business, and uh, you know, like I said, it takes time and and a lot of forethought. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because this actually is part of my next question for you. I want to ask you one more question here. Let you cover any major topics we haven't hit that you think are important, and then if you're okay with it, we can do like AMA style, bring people sure. up, whatever. Um, the question is, you had you had mentioned, or before we had established, you guys are running about 10x a hash. You've placed orders already for another batch of machines that's going to bring you guys to like 20x a hash. In the back channel, Battleant has pointed out to me that that's like 5% of the whole network, which is a lot. And yep. then, on top of that, you have an option to take it up to 35x a hash. Now, not being from your industry... This seems incredibly aggressive to me. Like, what is it about <clears throat> what you guys are doing that gives you so much conviction that you're willing to get after it like this? Like, you yeah. know, there's a lot of people who are saying, well, you know, the, the halving's coming up. So miners are going to make half as much in, in Bitcoin per block. Like, how do you guys think about this? Like, why are you guys so... Get so bullish. It. Yeah. So that's a really good point. So, I mean, I think there's a couple things. One is that Riot really, you know, is proud to say we're a Bitcoin company. We're believers in Bitcoin. And two, if you look at some of the historical movements of, of Bitcoin price going into a halving and post-halving, it's usually pretty bullish after the halving. And going back to some of my original comments, this isn't a light switch. You can't just wake up one day and turn on 100,000 machines. You have to do the blocking and tackling years in advance so that when that moment strikes, that you know, when Bitcoin, you know, let's say goes to hundred thousand dollars post having, you're running as much, you know, hash as possible to capitalize on that. And so, you know, our, our director of research, Pierre Richard, which I think you guys all know, does some really great work on halvings and and you know, kind of the, the price cycle. And the data suggests that, you know, 12 to 18 months post having. Bitcoin should double its prior high. So if that you know trading pattern holds true, 
then in the third quarter of 2025, you know, Bitcoin should be 130 to $140,000. And so in 2025, if we have 35 exahash running, we will have a dominant position of the network and we'll be, you know, generating more Bitcoin and more profits for our shareholders. And that's what, you know, really gets us bullish and excited. The second part of the equation for us is what I was alluding to by locking in the price of these machines now, we're, you know, as the price of Bitcoin goes up, prices of machines go up. So we're, the only thing that we can control as a Bitcoin miner is our cost of operations. We can't control the price of Bitcoin. We can't control the network. And so by being a low cost producer via our, our, you know, energy strategy, which we went through, and then now, you know, kind of leaning in, if you will, and buying these miners at a time when a lot of people are not investing in miners, it locks in our two biggest components of, 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 of cost or CapEx. And so if we're right, we will be the lowest cost producer with the largest public you know, hash rate. And then that should lead to us having the highest you know, multiple in our group. And it's kind of, I call it always the Amazon effect. Once you get to a certain size, you can flex your muscle. You can raise more capital. You can do more that your competitors can't. They got one arm tied behind their back for one reason. And so then, you know, it kind of gets... To the, you know, you want to win, you want to be the best. And, and we think we're the best of breed. And, and so we're going to leverage all the stuff that we're working on, all the experience of our team um, to, to continue to grow and continue to lead. All right. It's pretty ball. Pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Is there anything else like major things you want to hit real quick before we open it up to further questions and then we'll move towards wrapping the show? We're close to the end now. We got about eight minutes left. Now, th yeah, this is great. I mean, I, it's always great to talk to you guys and, and some really interesting questions. I always look forward to kind of the, I call it the Bud Light hot seat. I guess you, I don't know if you could say Bud Light anymore, but <laughs> the Budweiser hot you seat. You can, you can. And instantly, you know, many men who are listening to this are going to uh, immediately roll their eyes. Um, but yeah, Fire away, man. I love it. Um, I think, you know, everybody can just real quick. I mean, Riot reported yesterday. You can go on our website. You can see the earnings. We have an earnings deck out there that kind of shows you the, the, some of the stuff that I talked about, the trajectory of the, of the growth. It shows you some pictures of our sites, of the CapEx budget and the things that we're doing. Um, and, you know, we're always available if, if uh, people want to talk. Cool. All right, let's open it up. Anybody in the panel have questions? Now's the time. If you want to come up and ask a question, you can do that. You can also ask a question in our Telegram group, t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. By the way, that's where we also post all these links we talk about in the live show when we say it's in the nest. If you join t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club, you can get access to those links. We post them for every show. Okay, Ant, I'm going to volunteer you. <laughs> Battle Ant, talk about your concerns of why 5% of the network is maybe good or bad, if you don't mind. I mean, I think that you guys covered it already. It's basically around the general feeling of decentralization. I mean, I appreciate everything that was said, you know, uh, basically what was described is the extraction business of, you know, I mean, I, I work in oil and gas, so it's a very similar thing, you know, like you're extracting, you're, you're spending the asset and all that other stuff. 
I mean, when you talk about, uh, you know, <clears throat> centralization of mining, that that always is kind of a concern. I'm not saying what you're doing or having 5% or whatever it is, is going to be a bad thing inherently. It's just, it's like the eyes open up. That's all. Yeah, I mean, we're also talking about today's network versus our future, you know, uh, hash rate. And so I would argue that if the price of Bitcoin continues this this bullish run, there'll be more people coming onto the network. And so, you know, 35x a hash today would be 10% of today's network. But by 2025, the network might double again. And so then we would be back to 5%. And that's that's actually kind of the beauty of the Bitcoin network is that price discovery and I think people come in and come out, but um, you know, the, the stronger the network gets, the more bullish the, the price of Bitcoin becomes, the more people that want to mine and, and the more decentralized it gets. And uh, you know, it, it, that's one of the things that we're always you know, working on from a modeling perspective because the, the network difficulty is obviously a huge component to the amount of Bitcoin that we're able to mine. And you know, there's days when the average block is you know, eight minutes and you're like, oh shit, here comes a huge difficulty adjustment, right? And then there's days where the average block is you know, 12 or 13 minutes. You're like, oh, we're gonna get a, a little bit of a breather. It's gonna you know, decrease difficulty. So, I mean, every time the, I learned something about the network, I'm just amazed at the amount of, of, of insight or, or I guess foresight that, that Satoshi had to have this kind of mechanism where it can self-adjust based upon people coming in and out of the network. It's, it's almost like animal spirits have been contained, if you will, because he's, he's basically the, 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 the reset every two weeks basically controls the ability for people to, 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 to leverage their, their position, if you will. Yeah, I just think it highlights it. It's like a, it's helpful to see the understanding of all of the various actors in the network. And like you said, I mean, the, the balances in place are fascinating to see play out and, you know, as they have, but, you know, I mean, we, there, there's a lot of funky stuff going on in Bitcoin that most of the users will never even experience. You know, there's, there's decisions happening in the background and, and, yep. you know, political alliances and just all kinds of stuff, you know, and there's different activation methods for, you know, different things. And, and we've already seen, uh, you know, like the, the MASF model and things like this. So I'm, it's just one of those things that that's where it comes from. Yep. Yep. As I'm sure you know. Yep. And it changes every day. I mean, I, I, the greatest thing about this industry is you learn something every day. And, and I was, I'm a former oil and gas guy also. I was an analyst and also ran uh, oil and gas fields. And, and it was the same thing in that business. You learn a lot every day. And, uh, it, and, and you learn that it's not an easy business either. And, and Bitcoin mining, I think a lot of people are starting to realize that when you go to the industrial scale, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And, you know, one little one little you know accident or one little you know delay on a product can can change your your forecast and your outlook pretty substantially. All right, we are pretty much at the end of the show. Bill, awesome. I want to thank you for being here. It's been really cool. Do enjoy having you come on and give us like the latest of what's going on with Riot. I know a lot of people are interested in Riot and having. I mean, like Jim said, you know. People are watching what you guys are doing because <laughs> the, to me, it's no joke, man. Now, I, pr I appreciate um, the time and um, I look forward to seeing you guys in October at uh, the Swan event out here on the West Coast. And uh, we'll, we'll have to do the earnings thing, you know, kind of regularly. The next time we report will be around November 8th or 9th or something like that. So it, it's good to, to, to get an audience out there and answer some questions. So we appreciate the time. You guys should consider hanging out with us at Pacific Bitcoin. That's going to be, be a there. great time. Gonna, yeah. We'd love to We're, see you guys. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pierre, I think, is actually presenting. 
Um, and um, I was I was at the Swan event last week down here in Orange County. Shout out to Terrence and, and the team that I met down there. And uh, we had a great time talking about Bitcoin and Riot and um, looking forward to uh, coming up to Pacific Bitcoin. Fantastic. Look, would love to see you guys get more involved. All right. Uh, awesome. That's pretty much but, it. Any closing comments you want to make? Uh, any announcements? No, I think we, we covered everything. All right, cool. Well, again, All thanks right. for being here. That's a wrap then. All right. Thanks, Alex. See you. You bet. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Tomorrow, we've got Swan Private Macro. And uh, we did do Bitcoin Veterans last night. We recorded it. We'll let you know when that's dropped. We've got Pacific Bitcoin coming up, as we had just mentioned, in October. Um, you can use promo code CAFE for a discount. If you're thinking about doing VIP, you're not sure whether it's worth it or not, shoot me a DM. Happy to chat with you about that. Definitely worth it, in my opinion. Um, and then finally, yeah, Cafe Bitcoin, the place. For your morning news, preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We talk about Bitcoin here every single day. This is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. If you cannot catch the live show, you can throw me or the at Swan handle a follow to be notified of when they drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of the show, my crew, Aunt Peter, Seth for Life, Wicked, Dom Bay, producer Jacob. Appreciate all you guys very much. I'm your host, Alex Stanzik. Work with Swan. Want to know more? Shoot me a DM. Happy to help. Thanks to the speakers, the builders, the hodlers, the Bitcoiners. Appreciate you guys teaching people about this bright orange future. This is what we call getting on the mission. We talked a little about it a little bit earlier today. <clears throat> I got a DM from Psyduck, which is really good, and I can't read it without getting emotional because it's really powerful. But the bottom line is we got to get out there and help people understand that this no, is No, the something... bottom line is you need to read the DM, please. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. It's too soon. What? But I will what? say this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe or maybe the next time. But I will say this. Um all these young folks who are basically feeling like they're not in control and things are happening to them that that are they're basically powerless and and this is why they jump on all these kind of possibly misguided ventures to try to make a difference and help things bitcoin is the answer this is the way to fix a lot of this stuff so let's do it let's get out there let's help these folks Shout out to my stack chain brother, Psyduck, for bringing Alex, the, the masculine uh, uh, energy in the room, uh, to tears. I'm not crying. You're crying. Love you guys. Everybody have a great day today. Get out there and crush it.